Hi folks, Professor Chetland here and welcome to Office Hours Summer Sessions. For the next few weeks as we enjoy our summer break, Office Hours will release a podcast every other week and we're focusing on things that we can learn, whether it's how to be an adult, life in Appalachia, or study abroad, Office Hours Summer School will provide a little bit of enrichment as you relax from the school year. Hi, my name is Marcia Chatlin. I'm a professor of history at Georgetown University, but more importantly, I'm the host of Office Hours, a podcast. This is an opportunity to get a window into my world where I talk to students about the things that are most important to them. So please join us for Office Hours for the things we don't talk about in class. My students are saying this new thing called adulting, Adulting. which apparently I'm doing all the time (laughs) because I've been doing it for a while. I think this is like fascinating. So when you think about adulting, where the moments have you adulted in the past few weeks? I just want to make terrible puns. I mean, you can't say that. You're just want to say like adulterated. But I, I will. I will spare the audience. Thank that. you. Like Thank not gonna you. make the dad jokes. Um, mm-hmm. When have I adulted recently? When I've thought about it. Uh, so, ooh, to put it really heavily, um, the times I think I felt the most adult when shit hits the fan, someone dies. That's yeah. a that's a that's a moment um, when you have to grapple with the sudden death and the chaos that that wreaks and secrets that have been kept for years and watching people that are older around you that you've watched in roles of responsibility lose it and then have to step in. That's very. That's very adult. That's very adult. Um, I recently, um, my uncle passed away a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and my sister yeah. and I went to the funeral and. We're talking, and she was telling me about taking my mom to a funeral home to make arrangements for when she dies. And I Whoa. was like, yeah, no, that's yeah. my mom, all practicality. Like, you you plan for these things. Sure. You don't put your family in a bad situation. You pay for them. And my sister was telling me this experience of, like, my mom. My mom has a great sense of humor. So, like, my mom's being funny in this very intense moment. Yeah. So the lady's trying to, like, upsell her a casket. And my mom's like, no, I want the cheapest one. I'm going to be dead. Why would I care? You know, like, yeah. they're do- she's doing this whole thing. And then <laughs> my mom is like, no one wastes money on flowers. Don't waste money on this. And she goes, you kids can pay for you know, catering, but don't pay too much. And, you know, she's being very much my mom. And my sister said, you know, I'm glad we did that because I'll always have a good memory of this. Yeah. She said that, like, when she's gone, I'll always have a really positive memory about this moment that for so many families is terrible. And, like, my brother and my sister and I have a good relationship. And so, like, I think about that is, like, so adult. Like, you're right. It's, like, there's so much, like, financial and legal management when someone passes away. There's the grief, and there's, like, the feelings. And then it's, like, orienting yourself to a family that is now different because someone's gone. And so that is very adult. That was very real. Yeah, and I mean, like... Well said, and I guess you know to, to lighten it up a bit. I mean, you know, just like we, we just a little bit of realness right there, and perhaps we can. Sometimes roll. we do that, just just occasionally, mm-hmm. um, only on Tuesdays when we also wear black um, <laughs> all day. Uh, I would say when I set up a retirement fund when I was twenty three. Um, Folks, 22, listen, listen to Alex. Do start it. Start planning for retirement. 
because it is the future. And yes, you set up a retirement account yeah. because you think that one day you might not work. And exactly. And you know, I think people are so intimidated with this. I just want to stress to everyone: there's so many resources. Yes. Look, if you can read half the textbooks or skim your textbook you can figure out how to plan your retirement or like you don't even need to have an education there's so many wonderful mm-hmm. resources but it is so vitally important and the earlier you start hashtag plan for your future folks plan for that you don't have to know what you want to be but you will need money and social security <laughs> might not be there I, I hope i really do but you can't trust anything mm-hmm. so take care of yourselves and you will have so much peace of mind that's like so beautiful. Thank you for talking about my favorite topics, retirement and like Death. grief. <laughs> they really are. I mean, I think because because those are the two these are two big things that will happen to everyone, yeah. right? At some point or you have to deal with it and I think that, you know, it is hard because so many of our f- feelings are wrapped up about kind of the future and the unknown. The you know, but I think that the more you, you kind of think about the future and embrace it, that it doesn't feel as devastating when, when change happens. Today, I'm talking to a former student who is now in the real world, and he talks about, you know, the things that he misses about college and the things that are awesome about working and having this new experience. So don't be afraid of the future, folks. It is fantastic. And I've been, I feel like I've been adulting since I was like 10. Yes. I was a very independent kid, you know, yeah. like doing my own laundry, filling out my own forms. And so being an adult always just seemed like the goal. Like I never, I'm never like wistful for like, oh, I wish I was a kid. No. No. That is not oh, fun. I hated childhood. <laughs> being, an adult, <laughs> being an adult is where it's at. And, um, and I hope that this is something that I want to show my students that like, Working is wonderful. Like, having a job that you love can happen, and it's wonderful. And, you know, just because you're an adult doesn't mean you have to take yourself super seriously all the time. And that there's there's this wonderful world that awaits them after college, um, and they have to kind of know that it's out there. So uh, I love this conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Today on the podcast, I talked to Jimmy Ramirez, who just hey. moments ago was one of my students and now is a grown-up in yeah. the big, bad world. How are you, Jimmy? I'm good. Tell, um, how are you? Tell our listeners where you just came in from. I had work mm-hmm. at Google. Yes. It was nice. Um, yeah, I just, I like literally just got out of an Uber. I was fighting this, there's like a whole couple that was trying to get to their meeting at Deloitte before me. And You're like, like, absolutely not. I was like, no, this is a pool. <laughs> like, I need to meet Dr. Shatlin. You don't know her, but she's, you will soon. So it was nice. <laughs> Thank you. So, Jimmy, <laughs> you've been invited onto this podcast because yeah. you're like the greatest supporter of my life, and I'm grateful <laughs> for it. Um, but you were a student in um, a couple of my African-American classes. African-American Women's History. African-American Women's History. And we got to spend some time together. And I would love to hear about what you've been up to since you graduated Georgetown in May. Wow. So um, I've been just, like, trying to figure it out, which Mm -hmm. has been great. Um, I think a lot of navigating what it's like to be an adult. Um, Also paired with, like, you're now in a different class and you have all these different accolades, which is, like, you know, how— Oh, my gosh. (laughs) This is so real. (laughs) So basically you're living—we're going through a parallel process. (laughs) Continue. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's why we got close because, like, you were always my confidant on, like— what do I do with this now, um, period. When I was, like, senior year of college when everyone's stressful and it's, like, everyone wants to date each other and, like, all that stuff happens. Mm-hmm. But you were, like, the guidance for that. So I kind of have that now. Um, 
but my friends are all in the same spot, so it's like kind of a good. I had, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't have to like go to your office hours all the time now. Because oh. <laughs> you all soon, heard the, soon, you yeah. all heard the same advice from me over and over again. So, so tell me about what you have figured out and what is still pending. So you have a job, which is yeah. always the stressful thing for new graduates. Yeah, I have felt so immensely secure in my role, in my like, just in this like position in my life economically stably which is a very weird thing that to to experience but a very awesome thing to experience right um i think another interesting thing i've i've noticed is i don't want to say like i've become like more cynical but mm-hmm. i feel like in college you're able to like be like a champion of all these issues so like you know while on campus like gave a lot of i cared a lot about a lot of things and i felt like by virtue of being in like GSP, right, talking about issues of class, you're able to do that outlet, right? Mm-hmm. In the real world, there's not really that. And so it's like you feel oh. phony, you know? So are you saying that maybe you should become a college professor so you never have to? No, I, th- the worst. I, th- I think you're talking about something that um, that is so real that I hear from so many of my students. It's like I like being in the working world because, A, I mm-hmm. now have a paycheck, and so yeah. I feel different, I feel secure. B, I don't have the kind of lingering homework anxiety feelings. I think a lot of people don't want that later in life. But then it's like, where's the space for engagement? Exactly. Where do I talk about the things that are important to me? Yeah. And where do you um, do that? So when you can't talk about it at work, where do you do it? So I'm really lucky because at work we have a lot of spaces to like have. Mm -hmm. We have like the Black Googler Network, the Hispanic Googler Network to talk about things that Mm -hmm. are like insidious and and things that we – want to address um but as far as like i mean like i I love making films in college like Mm -hmm. i haven't had that outlet currently right so like i'll like read or like write for screenplay i just feel like Mm -hmm. so basic though because i'm like writing a screenplay in a coffee shop and i'm just like yeah but your movies are so good (laughs) can we put the movies up on the site so people? oh my gosh jimmy ramirez made a film called hair story for my black (laughs) women's history class Amazing. What do you do at Google? Um, I currently work with, like, the new onboarding, like, business side. So I I do, like— You're going to have to explain that to (laughs) someone who has never, like, even been to a business. Yeah. What does onboarding mean? So I work with, like, small businesses. So small businesses who are looking to, like, attract customers. So, like, i.e., like, if we wanted to get ice cream right now and we, like, Googled it on our phone— we want to show up there, right? So, like that, we want we want that to show up like mm-hmm. on the top of our page in our map. I facilitate that happening, cool. um, which is cool. So, I work with the small to medium sized businesses. So, like, let me give you an example. Like, one of my clients today was selling, um, like, oh, what's a good example? Um, he was selling like snare drums. Like, that's all he sold, just snare drums. Really? Yeah. So, like, I mean, it's like important that like. Drumline doesn't show up for him. The He's movie not, Drumline? He, yeah, I mean, Which like, I everyone the loves, everyone loves, school. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I What'd did. you think of Drumline? You know, I, I actually enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, I would make some edits, of course, but, yeah, yeah Drumline's pretty good. So, if I need to get a snare drum, mm-hmm. I don't want to be sucked into the vortex of rewatching Drumline and remembering that period of my life. I need to get to your snare drum guy. Yeah, you also don't want to see, like, possum snares. So like I, I, <laughs> I didn't know. Like, Did you know, like I learned, all, I have like I unlimited that. cocktail conversations, like from the end of time. Like, I've mm-hmm. talked about everything from like, there's companies out there that can shred your hard drive. People are, are sus. So, mm-hmm. that's a thing. And then, like, everything in between. So, I work with those kind of businesses mm-hmm. who are like, 
there's like three of them on board and you know they need that assistance so it's pretty cool very cool. So yeah. um, did you go straight to your job right after graduation, or did you have a little downtime? Um, I had downtime. So by downtime, um, I got to do a research on do research in the city about, like in D.C. specifically, on low-income housing. Um, the original research question was turning, like, ISPU units into um, low-income housing units, like either homeless shelters or serving, like, a specific AMI. Um, and that kind of devolved into this whole, like, just me and my friends researching low-income housing. So that was nice. It was really, it was a really good transition because it was like research, self-started, and then work. So what is that like, going from talking about, you know, this real chronic housing problem in D.C. Mm-hmm. to then being a business guy? I mean, <laughs> I, think, I think one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of students here is this real tension between, yeah. you know, do I fight the good fight after college? Do I enter this world of private business and capital? How do I merge those two? Yeah. How did it feel for you? A lo- it always has felt weird. Um, so, like, okay, I was, I was just having this conversation with someone um, the other day. But, like, I, I think that if you asked me two years ago, like, what I saw for myself, I would have been, like, fighting the good fight, mm-hmm. I guess, in every essence of what that meant. Um, but I think that connecting with a lot of my peers at Georgetown, especially those of color, there there was such this, like, conversation about excellence and, like, having to be the perfect, especially in my class, I feel like I just saw my peers be so perfect and, like, and then I saw them facilitate change in that way. So, like, that's kind of what my idea right now of fighting the good mm-hmm. fight is, is, like, let me be as excellent as I can be in my position as, like, one of the only Latino men in my office mm-hmm. so that I can facilitate either other Latinos coming into the office or other low-income students coming into the office, like, things like that. It's interesting that, like, the first thing you, like, talked about it was, like, I finally have money. I'm not broke. <laughs> yeah. Um, and talking about that, yeah. I think that, you know, for me as a student who did not come from a very wealthy background and then being in graduate school yeah. for like six years and then, you know, having a partner who then went to graduate school and being in a household oh, where yeah. like someone was in school. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until a few years ago that I'm like, whoa, yeah. I have something. I bought very expensive orange juice <laughs> and I felt like a baller. The way that rappers talk about buying yes. like a Lamborghini yes, or Shatland. like, you know, a Louis Vuitton jumpsuit. Yeah. I feel that way about $5.50 for orange juice, which is very expensive. I don't do it all the time. One, one of my coworkers and I, who he also grew up low income, we always, like, we can just, we always, like, complain. This is, like, the weirdest thing of all time. But, like, we're always, like, oh, like, it kind of sucks that we have money now because, like, I'm never, I'm, like, I now can buy this thing. Like, mm-hmm. I can buy these, like, Ray-Bans, even though, like, I'm never going to appreciate these Ray-Bans if I buy them full price because, like, no. I'm still hustling for the next Yeah, sale. no, you got to like, get a deal. Every, always. Like, <laughs> all, like, literally, like, religiously. So, I mean, so what is your relationship to money? Or what was it before? Um, so my mom always, like, big thing, like, hammered into my head, never work for money, which mm-hmm. I think kind of always, you, you know, especially, like, framed my thought process and, like, my approach to the job process because, like, Google is such a really cool company doing really, really cool things. I'm always learning. I have, like... Literally, like, three months in, was got to go to this multicultural summit where mm-hmm. I heard, like, it was, like, black and Hispanic Googlers talking about these really cool issues and how tech can, like, innovate on it. Um, so, like, I'm just, like, I love, like, that That has always been my model. It was, like, never let money work for you. Now, as f- it is a weird 
space to navigate when um, I can, like, afford all these, like, luxurious things and, like, a lot of perks are provided by my job because just I'm, like, incredibly blessed to work at this place. But then I'm faced with this, like, oh, like, I go home and my cousin's in a trailer park, like, don't have food in the, mm-hmm. in the cupboards. Or when they, what it is, it's, like, not healthy, right? And it's, like, wow, like, I have, like, ever, I have... Five ninety nine juice to drink from all the time, and it's just like a very weird dichotomy. It's like very emotionally stressful. I'd say. Do you think your family gets where you're coming from, or has that created some distance? Um, I think I don't. I just feel like academia. Like my mom was really wanted me to go to law school. After, mm-hmm. um, I think academia in the sense of my family, like they can grasp that, and they've kind of like, especially. I mean, t- I'm talking about my mom specifically. She like has always grasped like academia, right, and like. Now that I'm in this propelling this different job and like it's a different class, different world, different role, um, she just doesn't know how to grasp it, right? So like for example, um, and this is not any insult to like my mom's whatever, but just she should always just you know like you always mm-hmm. talk about education when you're from a low income background, it's always like kind of the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. You never like think about like what could be like working at the number one company or anything like that, right? Um, but for her, she she, like, related to my experience as a college student, especially at Georgetown, because she talked with her, like, she's, she works in a law office, mm-hmm. with her lawyers about, like, how their kids didn't get into Georgetown. So she mm-hmm. was always able to interpret that, and now it's, like, Google's this whole new space that she has to figure out. Yeah. Do you feel like you have to be a more contributing member of your family now? That you have more resources? Yes, for sure. Um, and I feel very, like, lucky. Like, I'm, we're probably going to go... It's like Hawaii. Like, we're going to do these trips we've never done before, and I'm, like, able to do it, right? And that's, mm-hmm. like, an unreal feeling uh, mm-hmm. to be able to do that because, yeah, it's just it's just a very, very rewarding kind of. But also, to be, to be fair to kind of my now discovery of money, I guess, um, I literally just paid off my credit cards, like, four weeks Good. ago. Whoa. Yeah, and, hey. you know, I was stressing about that. Yeah, so um, because my credit cards paid off my, like, rent, they like which we don't <laughs> advise listeners yeah. to ever do. Do not use your credit card. I was cards hustling in that through way. college. Like it but paid for I my relocation. It. it paid for like literally like all of for me to pay for my uh, family to fly out for graduation. Everything went on that credit card, and like it's like now paid off. And so like enjoy that. Yeah, zero. I know. That zero right? is yeah. your friend. <laughs> oh my gosh! But I, but you're touching on something that has always concerned me. Yeah. It's about the like mixed bag of graduation. Yeah, uh, graduation <laughs> has always been associated with kind of like emotional pain and financial <laughs> exploitation, yeah. and you know. And I think some universities are really, really trying to like stop the bleeding yeah. and have funds for you know students to help pay for family expenses or. Even the cap and gown. And, you know, we've gone back and forth about yeah. grad, the graduation industrial complex. Like, <laughs> Literally, it's like a thing. Who, yeah. Like, how much do you think you spent helping your family come to graduation? I probably spent, like, I want to say, like, 1500 maybe more than that. Maybe, you know like, 2000 It's a lot of orange juice. Holy um, So, like, it was, like, I mean, like, everything from, like, ensuring that, like, we all, I mean, like, my mom contributed a lot as well, but, mm-hmm. like, um... Flights, right? Like, I mean, donors paid for some of my family members' flights for them to come out. Um, just ensuring that everything was taken care of on yeah. the macro level. Um, I mean, senior ball tickets were like 100 bucks a pop, so like yeah. that. Um, yeah. Knowing what you know now, would you have done anything differently in that graduation experience? 
No, because I think I think the one thing I well maybe was like one the one thing I couldn't process and that was always so weird and that like I feel like I've now articulate was this weird feeling of like seeing my parents in this space with like these rich like parents and like mm-hmm. so like for example my mom visited when I got into Georgetown like mm-hmm. she came for a convocation the first time um, and she sobbed during convocation in the gym yeah because she was just like she could I mean like, it was never like a thing she had thought about you it's know like, so weird like yeah. where are like here yeah. I am and here's my kid <laughs> yeah can I tell you um, what year was it maybe two years ago I guess in 2014 when I gave the convocation address yeah. as faculty and I look in this huge sea of people and there's my mom with her like her little purse and her like crucifix around her neck yeah and she's sitting there it's it it is it's so weird to think like oh wait a second my mom's here and then I'm a professor at Georgetown but we were those people who were like living in this apartment or living with my aunt or like stressing out about everything and we're all here yeah in this one space and this one space yeah and this one space that like people of color and low income people have been like disenfranchised from for a very long period of time Mm -hmm. so it's like it's interesting to see that like their family member, or not family, but like my friends' family members. I love all my friends from Georgetown, but like mm-hmm. their family members was like kind of you know expected, right? Yeah, it was like, like this is home to them. Yeah, in I, some I ways. sent your ass to a private school, so like you're mm-hmm. going to like graduate from Georgetown. Whereas this was just like so much more, and I I think I realized that at the time, which was like fed into the emotion of it and fed into all that for sure. Oh um, my gosh, yeah, isn't it painful? <laughs> it's beautiful and painful oh all at the same time. I forgot to tell you. Oh my god, um, my mom. So like I come home for um, so like. I get flown out to, to go pub to... You were living a really <laughs> fabulous lifestyle. Can we just... Listeners, like, Google. I mean, I'm a history professor. I don't know what I can do for you. Oh my but what Jimmy Ramirez is experiencing, <laughs> I want to do so. This is a very, very V-blessed. Um, a 599 orange juice. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. But, um, okay, so my mom, I come home, and she has... Uh, <laughs> she she is literally she tells me she's like yeah, I got in a fight with the woman at FedEx I'm like what's going on she's like she's you know and she's going on a rant about incompetence like that I've heard before and I'm like all right mom like you're probably being mean and whatever and then she just like I come home and I see all these like framed copies of my diploma and literally like copies copies of my diploma how like, many copies are my we mom talking? made like four and like got that cute. those like cute like walmart michaels frames oh. and like just like it shipped them to like she was just like <laughs> everyone needed to know and she like was like yeah like one time the woman like made the copy and it was yellow and she was like it wasn't you know this like oatmeal color and i was like who, who, how do you know the word oatmeal now? Like, what you, like no, she is looking at those paper samples <laughs> because her, her little boy has graduated yeah. Georgetown. That was everyone's Christmas gift this year. It was like so <laughs> extra. So was it a Merry Christmas or kind <laughs> of a bad Christmas? It was, it was a Merry Christmas. It was a good. Was I good. love that. I mean, our our like our like immigrant low income parents are <laughs> just so heartbreakingly wonderful in yeah. these moments because. Like, yeah, because it's, you know, um, when I write the, when I write African-American history, I always mm-hmm. just try to think of, like, what was it like on day one for a person yeah. in this moment, right? Yeah. So when I think about these, like, little girls who leave the deep rural south and they're in Ch- they're in downtown Chicago, that yeah. must be so weird. Yeah. And in some ways, 
you know, like, I've had the privilege of doing all these things, but I remember when I got my PhD, and my mom is sitting there, and she's at Brown, and I got to represent the grad students on the stage, and Robert Redford is there. So it's like me, (laughs) Robert Redford, my mom's in the audience, and, you know, and it's weird. To see these faces come together, yeah. It's like this convergence, and I'm like, anything can happen at this moment. I'm waiting for mom to, like, maybe she'll come up on stage, talk to Robert Redford, give him some feedback on this, you know. It's so weird, and I think... I think that unless we tell these stories, you know, it will always feel like this kind of like space creature out of their element kind yeah. of thing. But it's but it's it's part of the experience. Yeah, it's awesome. I love that. That's yeah, so funny. It's it's pretty cool. Um, so so you've talked a lot about your kind of new class privileges, but now yeah. you get to say, well, I work for Google. What yeah. is that like? Um, there's so much like unspoken like weird kind of power in that I don't know like do people um, like think like wow or I don't even know the reaction to that because yeah. you're based in Michigan yeah so you're based in Ann Arbor and Detroit and that's mm-hmm. a little bit different than being out on the west coast yeah west coast it's like everyone is at a tech company so it's like very much like that um I don't know like I think a good example is like we so like my friends and I went up to Flint to go like volunteer and hear the community mm-hmm. action and things like that and it was just like I mean, I think we like we started talking with some of the, the the volunteers and stuff, and it was just you could just hear like the presence and like, and also we were all people of color, so mm-hmm. like, I mean, and a lot of my friends at Google are, are people of color, but there's such weight and like you could just see in the treatment of us, it was it's like almost it's way more intense than like when I used to say like I went to Georgetown, like mm-hmm. there I mean like and you can probably tell like this, but like when you're I mean like when people ask you like if you're employee, right? Yeah, like, what, it's like, what do you do at Georgetown? I'm like, I'm a history professor. It's so weird. <laughs> exactly. Or no, people think you're in Retail and you're like, I'm yeah, a fucking or, doctor. Or, yeah, when yeah. everyone thinks I work like, at the TJ Maxx exactly, around here. And I'm exactly. like, no, I'm just looking for deals like you. <laughs> exactly. So there's like that weight of like, just like, hell yeah. Like, I am not <laughs> yeah. what you thought, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, which is like, I think is unique for me that I, I mean, like what I've experienced. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's a lot emotionally, though. I you, I will say that when I did start, when I first got the offer, I used to, like, describe it as this, like, small startup because I was, like, so nervous about, What's like... What's a small startup, I would just Google? be... Exactly. I was, like, just full... I was, like, I was just, like, this is... I, mean, I would just describe it as this, like, not as big, oh, you know? And it's just, yeah, like, it's such an it incredible weird. company. And I, like, wasn't touting it because, like, either I, like, didn't think I was deserving of it or... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. But, like, I had an interest. Yeah. It's just. It's like, like when people go to Harvard and they're like, I went to school in Boston. It's like, okay, which school in Boston? Because mm-hmm. I have a sense I know which one you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, I can't tell if I, yeah, I think I was doing it just because, like, I was so nervous about like, the, what people would say. Like, mm-hmm. they're like, how the hell did you work at, get that job or yeah. something like that? Well, I think it's interesting. I talked to Kelvin, you know, Kelvin, <laughs> yeah, who's fantastic, yeah. um, about his desire to be in tech. And one of the things, he, you know, one of the poignant things he says is that he's at South by Southwest and he realizes that everyone has been given all this money <laughs> to start yeah. companies. And he's like, when you don't have a safety net, you have to be your own. Yeah. And I think that is just so true when you think about what tech values yeah. and then what first generation college students and low income students bring to bear. Yeah. And there seems to be, it should be a seamless kind of interaction but then it isn't because yeah. of these different value systems. So in terms of thinking about the diversity of tech, if you were to advise a student like Calvin or other kind of young people of color yeah. who want to get into this world, what advice would you give them? I think the first 
apprehension of people of color venturing into a space like tech um, is that you're not it's not aligning with what you want. So, like, for mm. example, like, I have always seen myself as, like, you know, I've always wanted to be, you know, like, speaking for these 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 causes that I care deeply about. Like, I mean, like, I staged a walkout in, like, eighth grade. So, like, I've always wanted to, like, push people's buttons. And what I realized from, like, so, I, I mean, my, my all my previous work, like, as a young professional in college was focusing on issues around youth homelessness. And, like, it was just so like that was just so what I cared about, and I realized like in a in a I w- I cared about access, like I cared about representation, I cared about like that's what drove me to like care, right? Mm-hmm. And so tech is tech is doing that, right? And tech is te- tech has this ability to create access for. I mean, for example, like youth are youth who don't identify as homeless are not going to walk, you know, they're not going to go walk into the local homeless shelter and find mm-hmm. it, right? They're going to, you know, if you have a number, they're going to text, they're going to call hotline. So we need to allow that that technology to meet the user where they're at. And I think for me, like my summer at Google, I got like that I did through MLT, like my coach convinced mm-hmm. me was like realizing that so much of it was about access. And like so much of my mind a year before was like, oh, like it's not social justice enough mm-hmm. or it's not as like important as I thought it was. Do you think that um, as you kind of navigate this tech space, where do you see the places where tech can change in terms of the environment for young people of color who are interested in this field? Like, what do they need to do on their end? Oh, great question. I think the narrative has to be changed. Mm-hmm. I think that so much of tech right now is like this sexy, like, create the next Snapchat and get rich. And like, there's just people see tech as like this place of money and like, um, like prestige but like in reality you can do like really really cool stuff like I mean like I, I mean like I've worked with the coolest of people in, with a product that helps their businesses stay mm-hmm. alive right and like I hear that from people and I like understand that and I've viscerally experienced that and it like while I'm not like you know working at like homeless shelter as a, as a social mm-hmm. worker I'm in a weird way doing what I cared about and then learning how to scale it so like I don't know what's left down the road, but that narrative has to change. So when someone comes into a place like Georgetown and talking to students of color, it needs to be, you are, like, you. this is this is what you care about. This is the same thing here. We're not just trying to make money. We're trying mm-hmm. to, you know. And, but but then, I mean, like, but not, in the, not to the point of, like, have you seen Silicon Valley where they, like, make the world a better place? Mm-hmm. Like, but, like, um, in an authentic way. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're not talking authentically about it, then it's it's nothing. Well, I think I, I'm really glad that you brought up narrative because I think that um, at Georgetown you had a story and we yeah. talked about this. Yeah, right? which was yeah interesting. Um, yeah. How has your sense of like your personal narrative, which I think mm-hmm. was interesting because I think it shaped a lot of people's introduction to you. Oh, always, and yeah. you let people really get to know your yeah. dimensions. I think I think you did a I think you did a really like beautiful job of saying, okay, this is one story about me, but I have many stories. But I think that. Students, especially students of color, especially first generation students, really grapple with what their narrative is because oh, 100%, yeah. they've been rewarded for being a single story, and then no one is kind of encouraging them to reveal their complexity or that their complexity doesn't mean that their story isn't real. Yeah. And so, how have you kind of understood your own narrative differently now that you're away from college? Okay, so, well, first off, I was like so incredibly blessed because, like, I at the California Homeless Youth Project, 
my mentor was also formerly homeless. So our conversations about both being formerly homeless young people, right, Mm -hmm. and grappling with that. She just, I I always had this fear of being tokenized and all of these Mm -hmm. fears. So she just, like, erased all of those fears from the get-go. And she's just, like, this incredible queer woman who's going to be, like, the governor of California. She's just, like, amazing. And she just, like... Cleared all those. Like, so I, I, re- I feel like I always, like, had that weird confidence of, like, sharing my story um, in, an ad- in a way that, like, tried to push for change always. Um, and I don't know if everyone has that experience, but um, I, think, I think when I got out of, out of college and now in a corporate business setting, um, like, what went, like, not that, like, but what, in what setting is it, like, beneficial for me to share my story? Mm. Because if I tell someone I'm, you know, formerly homeless, I experience bouts of homelessness, are they going to think I'm unintelligent and, like, the, mm. you know, the token? And that's always the case when people share certain things coming from an immigrant family. Oh, you know, they, all of these preconceptions come in. But I think when you use that narrative to, like, empower something you care about and you immediately discuss and, and push forward that's that's interesting that's that's when you that's when I've always that's always that's always made up for any moment I've ever felt like I tokenized myself or it was you know that I was someone saw me as one dimensional mm-hmm. interesting does that make that makes perfect sense yes. that, okay. <laughs> you know this isn't a test you yeah. this is a conversation <laughs> alright and so the thing that I've been asking everyone on this podcast mm-hmm. to close up our conversations mm-hmm. and this one will be adjusted for you because you are now a college graduate <laughs> but if there was one thing that you wish all your professors knew about you that you could have just made really clear from the beginning what would it have been um that I was I don't this oh that's so weird that's a weird question like um, I had always felt very, ins- and to this day, like, even in my job, feel like I'm, like, back of the pack, most unintelligent. I always try to make up for that through being, like, charismatic or through, like, being obscene or whatever. Um, <laughs> I like your two, I like the strategies. There's two ways we can do this, obscene or charismatic. Go on. Um, and I don't know, like, I, that's always, like, that's always, like, either, like, allowed me to, like, stop myself or, you know, like, feel this, like, weird need to prove it. Um, And I don't know, like, I've, like, mentors or people who are professors, I think if they have that information, they can either use it to challenge me or use it to, like, really, really, like, prove me wrong or even, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I thought that, I I just always, I feel like that's very valuable. Right. Thank you for joining me, Jimmy. It's good no to problem. see you. Hopefully that was chill and obscene. <laughs> and obscene and everything else <laughs> All the in things. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for visiting Office Hours. Office Hours, a podcast, is a production of Dr. Marsha Chatlin and Alex Tyson. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and only the speakers. Join us on social media, on Twitter at Office Hours Pod, and on Instagram on Office Hours Podcast.